Welcome to Neutral Site. We are your college football podcast, regardless of your team. More than just scores and schedules, we bring you the overlooked stories and underused data across the best sport in the world. And this is a Metrics That Matters episode. Houston, we took a little bit of a break, but we have done back-to-back, and today we are covering the passer efficiency metric and the total QBR metric, which the QBR metric actually builds on the estimated points added metric that we covered uh, very recently in our last Metrics That Matter episode. And uh, Houston, I'm, I'm kind of excited to be doing two in a row now. Yeah, this is a cool one too because I think, would you agree, Glenn, that the quarterback position is the most important position in all of sports, not just football? Obviously, it's the most important in football, but quarterback, most difficult, most important position in sports, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'd say the only other thing that might come close is a closer in baseball, but even then they're only needed situationally where quarterbacks needed every single play. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm I'm excited for this one. This is really cool. And you and I on, uh, a lot of our kind of full length preview and review podcast episodes talk a lot about QBR specifically. So this will be interesting to dig into Glenn with any of our metrics that matter episodes or with any kind of metrics or analytics it gets a little tricky gets a little hairy at times so before we really dive deep into uh, what these two ratings are can you give us just like a one sentence summary a little quick summary for those of us out there that don't know anything about passer efficiency or QBR absolutely so at a high level I'll just also say that these are the primary metrics for evaluating QBR. Uh, both are used for college and NFL. Passer efficiency is a measure used to evaluate and compare passers based on their ability to complete passes for a good distance while maximizing touchdowns and minimizing interceptions. Meanwhile, total QBR, which is, uh, and we're going to be strictly speaking in the NCAA sense here, is an ESPN measurement of QB effectiveness associated with throwing and running the ball, penalties, turnovers, and sacks adjusted for opponents. And that is unique to the NCAA, particularly the adjusted for opponents metric. Yeah, which was interesting. And just quick side note question for you, Glenn. Do you, do you like that? I, at first, my gut instinct was, I don't think you should adjust for opponents. But then when I kind of did a little more reading, I agreed that it was a, a good idea. If you're going up against Alabama every week, you're going to have have a tougher road, right? So do, I, just gut 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 instinct. Do you agree with yes, adjusting? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, and and the summary of that is because in the NFL, any given Sunday, the NFL teams are so elite that yes, even Miami can win a game. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> hey, yeah, they proved it. Meanwhile, Alabama versus an FCS school. I mean, you have to adjust for that. That's not the same as playing, you know, playing even a Power Five school, even if it's not yeah. a great Power Five school. No, I agree. I agree. And I love that you use the uh, any given Sunday term. Love it. All right. So before we get into the nitty gritty details, where do these things come from? Can you give us just a quick background on both the passer efficiency and the QBR? Yeah. Yeah. So both were initially created, as I mentioned, for the NFL and then trickled down into the NCAA, which is pretty common. We saw that in estimated points as well. Passer efficiency was created in 1971. Uh, when the NFL commissioner, Pete Rozelle at the time, asked League Stats Committee uh, to develop a better method for evaluating and determining who to crown a passing leader. And then the NFL adopted uh, the output of that work in 
1973 as the official metric. And this metric was developed using data by this committee from 1960 to 1970 to really determine what was most important to a quarterback. And so again, this was created to was used to decide who was the passing leader for the NFL because they used to use different metrics like would they just use passing yards or um, completion percentage and then yeah. it evolved to say we have to have a better metric so that's where this came from and then the NCAA applied it in 1979 slightly adjusted uh, they used average statistics from the previous 14 seasons so that's where passer efficiency comes from we suggest you head over to the Vivid Seats mobile app while you're in there, use the promo code OVERTIME and you'll save $100 on all ticket purchases. Now, this is for first-time customers only. Again, head over to Vivid Seats mobile app, use promo code OVERTIME, save $100 on all ticket purchases. Enjoy the game. Yeah, it's interesting that, and we talked about this in the last Metrics That Matter episodes, but the, the and this makes sense, but college football seems to just kind of piggyback on what the NFL is doing, right? So, which, yeah. again, makes makes sense. Right, and then... ESPN Total QBR, that was developed by ESPN in 2011 for the NFL, and they quoted it as saying, as a meaningful alternative to passer efficiency, and that's a quote from, from their website. So they were looking, ESPN was looking uh, to dig deeper into analytics and, and thought there was an opportunity with how quarterbacks were judged, uh, and, and they thought passer efficiency was limited, and so in 2011, they created uh, their own model, the Total QBR. I like it, man. Direct shots fired at passer efficiency. They need a, quote, <laughs> meaningful alternative. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right, Glenn, with any metric, with any type of analytics, we got numbers. We got scales. We got the details. Oh, yeah, baby. So let's let's dig in. What is passer efficiency exactly? What's it, what's it built upon? What's it mean? What goes into it? Yeah. So, Again, I'm going to focus on the NCAA passer efficiency because we are a college football podcast. You have to tie it to the NFL because that's where it starts. But the NCAA passer efficiency uh, specifically is a scale. It's a, it's a number rated on a scale of, st- stick with me here, Houston, negative 731.6 to a maximum of 120, or excuse me, 1,261.6. All right, so that's the scale, and it's really based on and that the calculation for a quarterback, so the quarterback that lands on that scale, is based on four key metrics or, or stats within uh, this this uh, overall metric, and it's completion percentage, passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions. And while the scale is substantial. In reality, it's actually much more narrow. I know that's a huge spectrum of what you're looking at. But a, a score of a maximum score of 1,261.6 would require every passing, every pass by a quarterback to be a touchdown completion of 99 yards. <laughs> and then a passer who only throws interceptions, as in a, a quarterback that every pass he throws is an interception, would actually only have a score of negative 200. So that's, huh. that's kind of like the real boundary. It's just that the actual equation allows for this this broader scale in theory but in in real practice it doesn't exist yeah and it's it's interesting that they kind of created this to uh, bring in more numbers than kind of the basics but they're still only using those four basics the completion percentage yards touchdowns interceptions I, I think we all know these days that there's more to it than that so it's interesting that this was back in the day a concept that 
they thought could bring the the analytics forward, but they're still only using those kind of basic I mean, basic stats. You know, you got to give him credit. I mean, this is 1971. He was sure, forward. Sure. He was forward thinking well before uh, uh, anybody was really you know Moneyball was even an idea, which I think has spurred a, a new uh, growth of it. And, and there is a formula behind it that that you can pretty easily get to. Uh, as always, Houston, some of these things don't sound particularly formulas don't sound good on a podcast. Wait, let me so, uh, hold on. Let me put my gla- yeah. I'm gonna put my glasses on real quick before you read this. All right. <laughs> don't forget go, to go, yes. go ahead. I'm good. Yeah, are, are they sitting right on your face? Do you have to push them up a little bit? I put yeah. Let me uh, push them up. Okay. Okay. okay good. Uh, <laughs> so it's hard to really follow a, uh, an equation or a model on uh, listening. So as always, uh, our notes, the sources for metrics that matter, where we dive deeper, are available in our show notes at neutralsitepodcast.com slash show notes. That's where we'll link to all this and you can actually see it and play with it yourself. So there is a formula for the NFL and the NCAA. They're a little bit different and really a little bit funky. Um, so the formula pretty much takes, they use a number that they've set, um, and I won't actually bother saying what they are because it won't make as much sense, but they use a number that they set um, multiplied per those four stats that we talked about, completion percentage, passing yards, touchdowns, and interceptions, as a way to really kind of weight them, weight each of those stats uh, to work out together into an actual equation, into an actual number. Now, you can apply that cal- you can apply that equation you want if you want on your own, or much easier, you can e- go use one of the pre-built calculators out there. Uh, the one I would recommend is Stassen's, and we've referred to Stassen for a number of other things in past episodes. Again, that'll be linked in our show notes, the, um, the link to their website. And it's also important to note that the NFL has a minimum number of stats to hit to count for a passer rating. And you basically have to hit a minimum in each of those four key stat lines to actually mm-hmm. be included for passing rating and then thus be a pass, you know, potentially being eligible for passer passing leader. And then I think the NCAA, from what I can research from, and this is from sports reference, they simply require a minimum 700 attempts to be included in their, uh, their, their metric in terms of, I think, all-time rating. In terms of okay. what they account for a season, I haven't been able to find that. But if you look at like all-time ratings of quarterbacks, they require a minimum of 700 attempts. Gotcha. That makes sense. That, that's interesting that they have different, uh, I guess, minimum stat numbers to hit. That, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So I, I kind of joked about it, but that was a, that's a good foundation, man. They, they did some good work with this to try to get the analytics up and running. But I think the total QBR from ESPN is is trying to take it to the next level. So you want to do the same thing with QBR and give us a, a description or a deep dive into what all kind of stats go into there? Yeah, I think I think like a lot of things, I, I view, I don't know about you, Houston, sometimes I view ESPN as like um, as the, the Empire in Star Wars, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if we're going to go nerdy, man, I'm going nerdy reference. They're like the, <laughs> they're like the evil Empire in Star Wars, right? Um and part of that is because, and we'll get to this criticism, is how closed off they are in a lot of their, their items and what they're outputting. But mm-hmm. I say that to say that I think total QBR is a really positive step forward for evaluating quarterbacks. And it starts with the fact that the scale is much easier, much more simple. So the total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100, where 50 is supposed to be the average. Makes That's sense. the intent. Right. It, it's just easier to look at it and make sense of it. And ESPN claims the scale helps create a correlation of a QBR and a team's season winning percentage, assuming that all other components of the team are, are average. So, again, it's holding 
every other aspect of the team in control. The QBR should be a predictor in a team's success. And I, I think that's cleaner, uh, easier to, to kind of understand. I think that's one of really two points that makes QBR uh, a positive step forward in evaluating quarterbacks. For sure. Yeah, I love the scale. Zero to 100 makes sense. 50 being average also makes sense. Like mm-hmm. you said, man, much cleaner, much, much easier. So what, what all goes into it? And, and that's the second point key point I think is that the QBR the passer efficiency uh, really just looks at passing it it just looks Mm -hmm. at four key passing stats the total QBR seeks to include additional metrics like we we said like I mentioned at the start where it includes for rushing it includes for sacks interceptions items like that or turnovers as a whole not just interceptions but fumbles as well and other turnovers and they claim to calculate it based on using play-by-play data as opposed to just the static, the, the statistics or, or the, the stable statistics. They're actually looking at play-by-play data in an attempt to get more granular in their uh, calculation of a QBR's worth. Mm-hmm. And so this was actually developed with uh, analytics personnel at ESPN um, who had done a lot of work with the NBA. Uh, an analytics professor they, they pulled... And then ESPN analysts, Trent Dilfer, John Gruden, and Ron Jaws Jaroski, which I thought that was funny that they brought them in, but I think they were there to help bring kind of like the context behind these stats. So it wasn't just the numbers person people. And I, I kind of liked that. And it was really, and again, they, they launched this in 2011, but they built this uh, based off data from 2008 to 2011, which I think is a little bit of a small window, but I like yeah. the intent that they're doing in terms of how they built their initial model. I- I like that they brought those guys in too, man. It probably gives gives this system a little more credibility with like those kind of the stereotypical football guys, right? It's just not a bunch of analytics nerds, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so you brought these guys hey, in. Hey, careful. That, I, I like it. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, careful. The, the, the analytics nerds, as you might call them, might be the only ones that actually like this episode. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we're kind of a little bit of that ourselves. So this was – this started in the NFL 2008 – in 2011 and then it was really first applied in college football in 2017 now you can go back and look at they they retroactively applied it in terms of where you can see rankings from past years but that was the first year they started actively uh, placing it in there and uh, the biggest difference again between college football and the nfl is that in, in terms of their total qbr models is that the ncaa one accounts for opponent adjusted uh and version and numbers so that it's adjusted based on the strength of schedule and, and who you who you're actually playing and, be, and again that's because the nfl says that when they ran the model they didn't or excuse me when espn ran the model for the nfl they said it really wasn't much of a difference between adjusted and unadjusted yeah i, I mean nfl teams are are much closer in uh talent right usually so it makes sense like we, we talked about in the intro like it i like it i like it all right glenn with any metrics there's going to be some criticism we i I jokingly mentioned the uh analytics nerds uh so some of the football community will try to poke holes in any of these new metrics what's what's some of the criticisms you see for qbr yeah and i want to i like how you said i want to start with qbr and then we'll hit passer efficiency you just mentioned that the community the analyst community or analytics community will try to poke holes in these things and that's how you actually improve them the problem with the QBR is the same problem we have with every ESPN metric is that it's a closed system. They're behind closed doors. They're not sharing their model. And in any 
in any model or any test, I mean, you, it has to be repeatable to, and verifiable uh, for it first to seem legitimate and for people to improve upon it. But ESPN, because they're a business trying to run it, this is the evil empire aspect, they keep this closed off. And so there's no way to really, there's not a good way to validate it. You just have to trust that they know what they're talking about. Now, there are some things you can kind of t- test against is like, well, how accurate is it or, or aspects like that you could play with. But again, it, it, you can't pressure test the model. And so that's the same critique we have with every ESPN metric. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just as true here as, as everything else. Yeah, and so it, it, it's pretty solid, but I think there's more criticisms out there for the passer efficiency rating, which makes sense. It's an older... Yeah model it's kind of not using as many numbers as qbr so what are some of the criticisms for that i mean you you nailed it It, it's it's an older model that's one aspect and then also it only accounts for the passing qualities of a qb which as we know i mean and that makes sense for when it was started again it was mostly about passing but it has evolved for example if you look at like johnny manziel's 2012 year season in college football his running ability isn't being taken into account and so he's not actually ranked very high in the ranking that year. But when you include that broader picture and thus basically use the QBR, he's ranked number one because one of the things he brought to the game was the ability to to run and just run all over the field, gain yards, score points, create plays. And I think that's a more true uh, representation uh, of a QBR. And so the pass efficiency doesn't include that. I also think, as we talked about earlier, the scale is so funky, right? I mean, it's just a it's a it's a wide range, but it's not a really a wide range, so it doesn't really make sense. If I see the number 150 passer efficiency, I don't really know how good that is. Versus, if I see a number of 80, I'm like, okay, that seems like a pretty decent number. 80 out of 100, it makes more sense than 150 out of 1261. Yeah. So you you've brought up the word accuracy a few times. How do we do we know how to measure these things? How accurate is the passer efficiency rating of the QBR? Do we know? I, I had trouble finding anything that said passer efficiency was accurate because inaccurate in this case means predictive. Because again, if, if we're talking metrics, people care about metrics mostly because they want a predictive measure or a comparative measure. And passer efficiency is comparative, but predictive, I, I don't know that I, I've seen much running on that. QBR, on the other hand, uh, ESPN has, a, a, you know, claimed to have run some analysis on it, and and what they state is that winning the QBR battle wins eighty five percent of the games, versus say, a comparison where there's a kind of a common metric, winning the turnover battle wins seventy three percent of the time. So if you have a quarterback, if you have a quarterback who's got a higher QBR than your opposing quarterback, they're predicting you're going to win eighty five percent of the games. So that's what it is in theory, and it sounds good, and, and I trust that there is some directional combination, but just take into account the fact that QBRs change over time, and so, mm. you know, I think that's just one thing to take into account. But all in all, if that's if that's numbers, those numbers are accurate, that's a pretty high predictive capability. Yeah, it is. Maybe that's something we can track in our review podcast is, hey, who had the higher QBR uh, going in, and then who had the higher QBR at the end of the game and who won. I don't know. It'd be something interesting to do. Yeah. And I, I found too, I looked at the, the new uh, college football playoff rankings are out. And if you do go look at those rankings and then you compare them next to uh, the rankings of QBR, it, it does, it makes sense. A lot of the, I mean, it sounds obvious, but you know, the top 10 teams are 
very close to the top 10 quarterbacks uh, as determined by QBR. So it's, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a good highlight. I'm, yeah. I wouldn't, I'd be surprised if the college football leaders weren't including it. I mean, the current rankings, and you talk about playoff rankings, the current passer efficiency rankings and QBR rankings. So passer efficiency, the top five, uh, again, passer efficiency, take into account passing, right? Think about, keep that in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts, Tua, Joe Burrow, number three, Justin Fields, number four, Tyler Huntley of Utah, number five. So that's the top five passer efficiency. Not completely surprising, but a, a little bit. And then the QBR is pretty similar, but there's a, there's a little bit of a flip there. So two is number one. Jalen Hurts is number two. Justin Fields, three. Joe Burrow, four. Tyler Huntley, five. So again, pretty close. Um, it's actually kind of past that that you start to see some differences in the numbers. Just for an example, number six in the total QBR is Malcolm Perry of Navy. But he is, yeah. man, he's like nowhere to be found on passer efficiency which makes sure. sense because they're a running team. He's not even in the top 50. So it's really outside the top five that you see the biggest difference in that example. Um, but those are the top five for pass efficiency and total QBR. And a quick shout out to our boy Dan Ellington over there at Georgia State. I, I believe he's number 20 in total QBR on ESPN's rankings. Pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. He is, he's having yeah. a great year. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, number 32 pass efficiency, not too shabby. That's not too bad either. Yep. He can do it all. Glenn, what's what's the future of these two metrics? Passer efficiency, uh, it's going to continue to be used, and it's very commonly used. I don't think it's going away anytime soon, but unless it evolves, he's not, I don't. I, I think it's going to get replaced by QBR or some alternative measure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL or other groups start to come out with their own uh, measures to replace passer efficiency because QBR is a quote-unquote proprietary uh, metric. That said, uh, QBR is is something that I think ESPN is has invested heavily in and will continue to, and I think it has good value. They even go so far as to say, uh, we envision an obvious future use is assessing the best NFL prospects. So now you start to see them using this to as a more predictive capability for determining who you know they see teams using it to decide who do they want to draft, and I think that's a, a pretty impactful future. Uh, potential use yeah this is great and I, I mentioned at the end of the last episode but anytime you bring in more analytics more metrics in the college football I love to see it this is a great great thing going forward Glenn let's continue to kind of track some of these uh, QBR maybe a little bit of pass efficiency ratings as well in our podcast but again the more you can bring in the college football the better I love it for the proof that college football is the greatest sport in the world All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to Neutral Site. We appreciate being your college football podcast. And whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or even Google Podcast, make sure you go in there, subscribe, and better yet, leave us a review. We want your feedback. Uh, Don't forget to check out our show notes at NeutralSitePodcast.com. That site also has links to all of our social media accounts. But you can follow us, hit us up on Twitter at NeutralSiteCast. On Instagram, we're at neutral site. We hope you enjoyed, and we hope you can use these overlooked stories and underused data at the tailgate this weekend.